And we have it right in front of us. Jesus says this stuff. The followers of Jesus say this stuff. And they say, look, here's what one day it's going to look like. And again, on Sunday morning, we take it as good news. But then Monday comes along and we're like, okay, but how much longer? How much longer do we have to know that it's right in front of us, but it isn't here yet? You have to be long-range, big-picture oriented to follow Jesus. Like savings bond, long-range. You know, you buy it and then it just sits for a long time. and You're like, how much longer? Well, it's going to be a while. I think that's why the earliest Christians said it's coming soon because they saw that time, as we understand it, takes a little bit more endurance than we've been led to believe. And so we keep practicing and we keep enduring. And this is where three passages speak to us as we consider this whole reorientation to God in the midst of disorientation. Because reorientation is the promise. And we see glimpses of it. And it's beautiful when we see it. But that reorientation happens in the midst of disorientation. So here's, here's sort of the, the, the quiz for the morning. Or at least yes or no, true-false kinds of questions. Do you have hope in promises of Jesus. I'm not even saying that you have to be hardcore, full believer. I know some true believers, and they help me in my faith. But I'm saying, do you at least hold out the hope of the promises of Jesus? Okay, so if you say yes to that, even just the hope of the promises of Jesus, you have to have that hope in a world of disorientation. And this is where these three passages um, come to life this morning. And I didn't plan it this way. I don't even think original Scripture planned it this way. Whoever wrote all the little numbers in Scripture, uh, it just so happens that these are all 13s. So make of that what you want. John 13, Revelation 13, Psalm 13. So story about Jesus and from Jesus, John 13, 21. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Just let that sink in and, and hear that. Jesus, the beginning, word, all of creation, king of kings, lord of lords, incarnation of God, you got that? Troubled in spirit. So he says, Very truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter therefore motioned him to ask Jesus, Of whom was he speaking? So, while reclining next to Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So, when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, 
son of Simon Iscariot, after he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, do quickly what you are going to do. No one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out and it was darkness when he had gone out Jesus said now the son of man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him if God has been glorified in him God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once dear children I am with you only a little longer you will look for me and as I've said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So that's John 13. Now, the leap to Revelation 13. The beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. You know you're dealing with Jewish apocalyptic, because, man, this has lasted a lot longer than 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe and every people and language and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slaughtered, let anyone who has an ear listen. If you're going to be taken captive, into captivity you will go. If you kill with the sword, with the sword you must be killed. So you know what I'm thinking as I'm hearing all this? What in the world is he talking about? <laughs> and all, I really only want to know one thing, John. Has this happened yet? And really, I don't, I don't want to know history. Here's what I really want to know. Am I going to have to do this? That's all I want to know. If not, cool. Thanks for the, you know, wild imagery. But all of that, everything that he has just said, not just in this little section of Revelation 13, but everything up to Revelation 1-1 to this verse culminates after he says, if you're going to go into captivity, you're going to go into captivity. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. You know, that's actually in the Bible. Do you know that? Right after that is where this all comes together. You ready to hear it? Because this is where everything. This is actually the pinpoint culminating uh, saying in the book of Revelation. Here is a call for the endurance and faithfulness of the saints.
That's why revelation exists. It is a call to endurance and faithfulness. All these images, all these things going on, that's really what it comes down to. John 13 is in the second half of the book. And the second half of the book kind of says the same thing over and over again in as many words. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And you remember, I mean, we just spent all this time in the Gospel of John, and that seems to be the common refrain. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Nothing super profound. It's nothing that you listen to and go, well, I've never thought of that before. Just the opposite. In this world, you're going to have trouble. That's when everybody in the whole church, all together with one voice, says, Amen. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Amen. Love one another. That's that right there is the gospel of John. Going to have trouble? Love one another. Revelation? Very similar. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Same drill. And then on top of love one another is the next thing that followers of Jesus need just as much as a commitment to loving one another. Endurance and faithfulness. This is long range. This is not something that you wake up one morning and think, finally, I've got it down. Nope. It's day after day, week after week, year after year. Commitment. In the midst, and see, this is why I pointed out so much about Jesus in that very beginning of where we read in John 13. The text tells us right away, Jesus troubled in his spirit. You think about this for a minute. The one who came to show us how to love and to set us free is troubled in his spirit. What are his options if he's troubled in his spirit? I don't know. He probably had a lot of them. I mean, his creator, sustainer of the universe could have said all kinds of things, could have taken any approach. He's troubled in spirit. What does he tell his followers? Right after one of them walks out, turns his back, what does Jesus say? could have said, I don't know, maybe. Maybe Jesus, in watching all of this unfold, could have looked at the eleven and said, saw that coming. Why didn't y'all? Because in the text it really appears like they didn't see it coming, which I'm kind of suspicious of. I'm thinking, y'all really didn't see that one coming? Maybe not. Maybe Jesus did. Jesus could have said something like that, didn't. You know what Jesus said? In a troubled spirit, right after one of his own walked out on him. You know what Jesus said? Love one another. That's pretty astounding when you think about it. And then you go all the way, fast forward, all the way to the book of Revelation. And they are talking about the promises of God and this call to endurance. 
and this call to faithfulness. And you know what's going on in their lives when they receive this particular call to endurance and faithfulness? You know what's happening? They're not going to church on Sunday morning and then going out to eat and then going to work and making money and buying cars and watching TV. Sorry, they're not. You know what's going on in their lives? They're going to church, and it's costing them their lives. They're dying, right and left. Jesus gives this message to John in the midst of massive death and destruction and persecution. You don't think some people were walking away at that point? They did. In fact, as Revelation really started being read in the 2nd and 3rd century, people were walking away right and left because it was just too dangerous. They liked Jesus' teaching, but it was just too dangerous. So guess what happens in the 4th century when they legalize Christianity and some of the people who walked away suddenly are like, uh, we're back. The early church had to struggle with what to do with letting people back in. And so they had this wonderful little word that they called them, the traditores. Traitors. What do we do with them? And some of the preachers were saying, we do what Jesus would do, we let them back in. Well, guess what? That wasn't popular with a lot of people. And yet, the message of Revelation still stands. In the midst of death and destruction, the promises of God. This is a call to endurance and faithfulness. And when you mess up, because I assure you, you do this Jesus-following thing long enough, you're going to mess up. Come back. Come back. Follow Jesus again. Because it's worth it. I promise you. God is my witness. It's worth it. This is why it's never made sense to me how someone can go to church and be a Christian for 30 or 40 years and still be mean. You know what I'm saying? How do you be a Christian for 30 or 40 years? How do you follow Jesus for 30 or 40 years and still be mean-spirited? I don't get it. It has been for me, having done this whole preaching thing for almost 30 years, it's been the single biggest heartbreak for me in a life of ministry. How someone can, you know, be Jesus, yay Jesus, and just be mean as all get out. I love that phrase. I picked that up in West Texas, by the way. Mean as all get out. I have no, what it me- I have no idea what it means, but it, it speaks. You just mean as all get out. I don't know what that means, but boy, it communicates. How do you be mean as all get out? and follow Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, I think I know why. I think it's because it's possible to listen to the Word of God and let it not seep in, not let it get through. Come, you listen, don't let it in. So, I've got, a, I've got an idea, and this is one of those times where the preacher actually comes up with like something really practical. So here's something absolutely practical. This week, we are tomorrow, July, we are about to enter for the month of July, deep immersion into the book of 1 John. 
It's five chapters. It's a little book. It's like a little general letter in the back of the New Testament. It, it's kind of one of those letters speaks anytime, anywhere. Five chapters. So here's an idea. The Nielsen ratings a couple of years ago did research to try to figure out how much TV the average American watches per day. All right, this is where my practical is going to go to meddling, but I don't know. We're all grown-ups. Deal with it. Uh, we'll be okay. You know how much TV average American watches every day? Anybody want to guess? Three hours? Four? Five hours and four minutes. Average per day. First of all, I don't know, where do these people get these, this time? But anyway, five hours and four minutes a day. So, okay, let's just say we're all average Americans. Everybody in here watches five hours and four minutes a day. First of all, if you're watching that much TV and you've been a Christian for 30 years, no wonder you're mean. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be in a bad mood if you do that. Anyway, let's just, okay, for the sake of argument, you watch five hours, four minutes of TV every single day. Take an hour off every day this week. Only watch four hours and four minutes of TV every day. And each day, devote one hour to one chapter of the Gospel of John, or the book of First John, and read it, and just sit in silence with it a little bit, spend some time in prayer, read it again, and just kind of repeat that for an hour. If an hour is asking too much, and again, I don't think that it is, but if it's asking too much, 30 minutes. One chapter, the book of 1 John. So tomorrow, Monday, chapter 1. Tuesday, chapter 2, all the way through Friday. Spend an hour a day with the Word of God and spend time in prayer and just let it, let it sit with you for a little while. If you don't like reading or you fall asleep, you know, pull up the internet and let someone read it to you. If you have someone that you can kind of partner up with and you don't want to do it by yourself, let someone read it to you and then you read it to them. There's no rules in this. You don't have to follow some sort of deep structure. But spend some time with the Word of God. Spend time in prayer. I mean, you think about it. Jesus did not wait for His closest followers to be perfect. He met them where they were in their imperfections, called them to be better in Him, warts and all. And it took years. I mean, even in the midst of a troubled heart, his new creation was taking shape. And I think that's still true today. This whole body of work is a call to endure. And that's where Psalm 13 comes in. It's a prime example of a prayer of disorientation designed to help us endure. And I don't know, maybe we can set Psalm 13 to music because this, this would make a great song. It really would. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul? 
and have sorrow in my heart all day long. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trust in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. If we do put this to music, it really needs to be a blues song. This is a great blues song. How much longer, God? How much longer? But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust you today. And I'll trust you tomorrow. We trust in the hope of the Lord. Our hearts rejoice in our salvation. In the coming salvation of all of creation. And so we sing. On the days of all and on the days of nothing. And where we actually spend most of our life in the space between. Amen.